Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artists today, Robert Hill and Joanne Ledger. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
yourself another fool from their brand new release and we got robert hill on the line right now hey robert how are you good how you doing richie i'm doing pretty well now this is the first time you've been on our show and we always like to give our fans this opportunity to really get to know an artist and the best way to do that is through your journey how you got to where you are today so give us the story of robert hill and, of course, the Robert Hill Joanne Ledeker Project. Well, um, grew up in North Little Rock, Arkansas, um, which is on one side of the Arkansas River, you have North Little Rock. On the other side, you have the capital city of Arkansas, which is Little Rock. And uh, as the story goes, uh, whenever somebody had something on the Little Rock side they wanted to get rid of, like, say, a, you know, an old car or a a dog or ex-wife or husband, they would drive it over the bridge and dump it on the North Little Rock side. And so as a result of uh, particularly dumping dogs on the North Little Rock side, North Little Rock became known as Dogtown. (laughs) (laughs) So there were, uh, it was actually kind of a badge of honor for the people in North Little Rock. uh, I figured that uh, would be because of the ex-husbands, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, there were benefits to to that yeah. having that. Uh but uh so yeah, I grew up there. Um 
played in in bands uh, around Little Rock for for a number of years. Um, eventually, uh, in my twenties, moved up to New York City, um, and not really knowing anybody up there, and that was. Uh, that was a big change, which I was ready for. There really wasn't any enough going on in, in Little Rock to kind of keep me here. And uh, so I uh, moved up to New York. I was working um, as a graphic artist. Um, my, my background in school was in, was in fine arts and uh, in painting in particular. So I got a job uh, working in, uh, as a graphic artist, working in post-production houses, doing sort of special effects kind of stuff, 3D computer animation, stuff like that, and then playing music at night. So um, started playing, found some guys up, uh, saw an ad in the Village Voice up there for a, uh, a, a harp player looking to put together like a Chicago blues-style blues band and answered that, and uh, we've got a couple other people, and we ended up playing kind of a little blues circuit in uh, Manhattan for a number of years. Uh, there used to be a really nice blues circuit there. There's not really uh, that anymore. There are a couple of clubs, but there used to be quite a few that you could go around and play at and kind of at least make uh, some money at, almost a living. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, did that for a number of years, and um, uh, that was kind of the uh, what I was doing. I kept my day job. Uh, I began to freelance more as I played more music at night. Um, many times going into work, uh, after just getting off my gig, uh, so that, that I got used to, to not sleeping a lot. But, um, anyway, uh, a few years ago I was able to finally, um, well, I guess let me put this in context. First, I, I, I met Joanne probably about 15 years ago and, uh, actually through a mutual graphic artist friend and said, you know, you should meet my girlfriend. She's a singer. And, uh, think you guys would sound good together so we started playing together and uh we did um a couple of tours of spain together i had a friend that i grew up with in little rock who, who moved over there and had started a family you know a drummer kind of found me after we, we both lost each other for about 25 years and so we went over there a couple of times did a couple of little tours he put together a band for us and we did that and um We've been, you know, performing, I guess, for the last probably 15 years. Um, she's been on a couple of my records. Um, and this is the first one I kind of wanted to do one that featured her more. And also my daughter as well sings on this, um, sings a lot of the backups and a couple of the lead vocals. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. I'm, I'm just basically doing music full time now. So, um, you know, I finally, uh, finally got to that point where I could do that. So okay. took a while, but you know, worth the wait. <laughs> well, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, but, um, you had said that you were doing 3d animation and believe it or not, right. back in the, uh, late eighties, early nineties, or even pretty much through most of the nineties, I had an animation company where I used oh, to yeah. do 3d animation, uh, utilizing Lightwave from uh, new tech back in the uh -huh. day on the old Amiga wow. computers and uh um you know and you know I I I haven't run across another 3D animator uh what what did you <laughs> use 
What, what was your um, Well, I started out doing, um, was working on um, a system called Quantel, which was uh, kind of a predecessor to Photoshop. Um, and it was whatever all the uh, post-production facilities were using up here to uh, retouch commercials or do, uh, like if you're rotoscoping, retouching frame-by-frame stuff for, for a TV commercial. Um, and that eventually evolved into a 2D animation uh, system uh, called HAL, um, which I worked on for a while. And then eventually I started getting into the 3D company. I was, I was freelancing at CBS at the time for a, a long time, and they had a uh, system there. It was an Austrian company made it. It was called Everest Peak, and it's a real-time 3D system. So unlike the old days, you know, you would have to set up your animation and then uh, go home and let it render each frame out overnight. Uh, this was an actual live, real-time uh, 3D system, so it was great for doing, you know, live stuff on air, uh, news, or whatever you wanted to use it for, and you could instantly change things. So that was a system that we used, which they still use there at the Broadcast Center and at uh, 57th Street in Manhattan. Um, okay, so you worked at the Broadcast Center, not BlackRock. Right, the broadcast yeah. center, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, right across the street. Not, we got a lot of parallels here because I used to work at BlackRock. Oh, yeah. uh, really? Yeah, I used to work at BlackRock huh. uh, back in the late 70s um, in their telecommunications room. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we got some parallels here. Yeah, so, yeah. So let's talk I've been about, able to use... What's that? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I've been able to use some of that background with, um, uh, I've made, a, a, I don't know, maybe five or six uh, videos to some of my songs and used um, mostly the 2D animation um, uh, systems, but uh, some 3D stuff too for a number of my songs, which uh, you can you can check those out on YouTube and find uh, some, of the, some of the videos I've done. You'll see. Well, one in particular, a uh, song called Smokestack that has a lot of 3D computer animation stuff in it. But, yeah, I've tried to use some of that background to kind of make the... I've always really always been into animation, and, and uh, so I'm trying to combine that with some live-action stuff. And so, oh, yeah. Well, animation's a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. let's talk a little bit about this new release. When you were... Starting to put this together, what was your goal for that? What were you looking to achieve? Well, um, I had been uh, a, a local church, Methodist church that that we go to. Uh, the pastor there, I, I I've been very lucky. Is very into blues, <laughs> so he started doing a contemporary service on Friday nights. And if I was around, and it was only a couple of blocks from my house. I'd go over there and, and do a few gospel blues tunes because I'd, I'd always liked that gospel blues stuff. Um, and uh, particularly, you know, slide-oriented, slide-guitar-oriented stuff. And I'd been doing that for a couple of years there, and I also with my band, you know, we would do a few, few of those gospel blues tunes. And um, it all kind of happened right when the pandemic hit up here in March of 2020 when everything shut down. I decided to finally just record a few of these songs at home. I was just going to do it kind of as a project for myself to have something to do. 
And as it turned out, um, the day that I laid down my first guitar tracks, I noticed on the social media that a drummer friend of mine, Frank Pagano, was at his hold up at his house with his son, his son who uh, James is an audio engineer. They were trying to record Frank's drums at home for the first time, and um, I saw they were they were doing that. So I asked him if he'd want to just lay some drums to this track I had just done and sent it to him, and he laid some drums to it. And then when he sent it back to me, it also had a bass track on it. And what he had done was he he sent the tracks to a bass player, a friend of his, to see if the bass player thought the drums sounded okay, since it was the first time they had really done that at home. And the bass player liked the song so much that he went ahead and added a bass part. So Frank sent this back to me, all these tracks, and it sounded great. So, you know, I said, you know, you guys want to keep going, and they were into it, and everybody was kind of stuck at home. So we ended up doing just about all of the CD that way, which took, you know, a long time. But, um it was kind of the only way we could do it. And it was actually the only way I would have gotten these guys because uh, Frank and Steve Gelfin, who play bass, these guys are always on the road and always booked and playing with somebody. I've uh, I've done a lot of recording with Frank in the past, but, but um, can never really get him that much because he's usually busy with something else. Um, these guys have kind of done everything, uh, you know, Broadway shows, uh played with uh, many many big names and played on a lot of hits and um so i just uh, in one sense the pandemic you know was was good for for me to be able to get this project done even though it was cord try and get everything as much as we can live just all together and including the vocals if if we can't get that, at least we'll get the, you know, rhythm section down and then go back and, you know, add vocals or whatever else. Um, so it was a different way of doing things. And uh, I, I mean, a lot of the credit of that's got to go to Frank for just kind of locking in and keeping everything together. You know, even though we were, you know, we were just playing to each other and not being able to not be in the same room and, and all right. that. But uh, I think, you know, they did a great job of just locking in and, and holding that rhythm section down. So, and then, um, well, you know, yeah, one of the things I noticed is, um, during the pandemic, a lot of releases, uh, had, you know, really high end, you know, uh, session players, real, you know, touring guys. Right. Because right. They were home, you know, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah they, that's right. So that that you know that was the advantage of some some really good recordings uh, you know coming out of yeah. out of the pandemic. Now yeah, um, exactly. Now let's talk about you as a songwriter. Um, I'm mm-hmm. I always like to talk to songwriters about their process. Uh, when you mm-hmm. sit down to begin to write, what is kind of your mechanism that you use to tap into the muse? I, I usually start with um, either, I mean, sometimes it can just be a riff. Uh, it could be uh, just a, a riff that I like that I can I can build off of. And I, I usually will record, um, well, I usually come up with the, the, the music first, the instrumentation or the melody of the song. I'll kind of get that down. And as I'm doing that, sometimes, uh, you know, words will, will come with that or this music will stri- strike a certain tone or a mood. And 
and um, or make me think of something, um, you know, from my past. They're, they're usually, uh, with the exception of well, this record too, but I would say most of my stuff is fairly autobiographical. Um, but it's usually, um, yeah, it starts with the melody, and then uh, usually the words, some of the words might come around the same time, but they usually come later, and usually uh, I spend a lot more time editing the words down and just getting, you know, cutting out all the all the fat and just right. get right down to the to the meat of what uh, really what is essential and how to tell the story simply and clearly and you know don't waste uh words or just get right to the point you know and uh try and make everything clear but at the same time you know uh i want it to be usually tell some kind of story um uh and 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 to be uh you know, to be real and honest, not superficial, uh, not just to be, you know, strictly coming from from the gut. And and uh, I, I usually will get to the point where I know, okay, this is uh, this this is right. You know, this feels right. This is this is real. And and then I leave it alone. <laughs> or I try to. <laughs> now, you know, lyrics is one thing. You know, to me, lyric writing is a craft, and the more you do it, the better you get at it. It has a very structured <laughs> elements to it, such as having a good story, having continuity, <laughs> having rhyme, having meter. But melody is a little different. Um, some <laughs> songwriters like to use a groove and allow the melody to freeform out. Others take the lyric and its cadence will dictate where the melody should go. What's kind of right. your go-to when you start looking for your melodies? Um, I, I usually uh, usually will let the melody kind of dictate the direction. And like I said, sometimes uh, the words will come at the same time. I'll play a particular riff or a, or a progression and something will gel maybe i'll just be you know saying stuff you know just kind of seeing what will fit or thinking of what am i trying to say here in this song and thinking about you know um but a lot of times it's like a, just kind of like opening yourself up kind of playing playing a lick or playing a progression and just kind of opening yourself up and i feel like things just come in it just comes to you. Yeah, I don't know where it comes from. I know some of the stuff I'm, I is I didn't necessarily write, even though it came out of me. <laughs> so I think that you can tap into stuff. You know, you can tap into things that are floating around out there. As, as uh, you know, ridiculous as that may sound, uh, you can just uh, there are ideas and things, uh, particularly with lyrics, with me that. Uh, and and you know when it comes it comes out of nowhere sometimes and uh, it's kind of like okay well that was a gift thank you wherever that came from right right now um, let's talk you know a, a lot of the songwriters today have embraced technology as tools in their toolbox mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. whether it's their cell phone to capture ideas or they have a home recording mm -hmm. studio that they lay out right. a structure and then write to that structure. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the tools that you have found to be indispensable to you as a writer? Um, lately, I would say just in the last couple of years, um, using my cell phone to record ideas um, so that I, I don't forget them because I, 
uh, come up with a lot of stuff, and then I don't make a record of it anywhere, and then I forget it the next day. So it's been great to just use that to, you know, just capture a riff or capture maybe uh, a verse or a chorus just so I, I don't forget it. And then usually, um, I mean, sometimes I'll even play the whole song out as much as I can, and then uh, uh, then I'll usually uh, go in and do a, a home demo of uh, when I finally sort of have the song formed, um, at least from the the music standpoint, um, and do a uh, you know like a home demo, and then and then work on the on the words, and uh, you know in the past get to that point and uh, send everybody the demo, and then get together, you know, let them learn it, then get together before we go in the studio, so we don't waste time and work it out. So that we, when we do go into the studio, we can just bang it out in a few takes, you know. And uh, uh, so that's that's the way I've normally worked. But yeah, using a cell phone has been kind of a a good new discovery for me to to, to capture ideas. Okay, now um, let's talk a little bit about um, when is a song done. A lot of songwriters. <laughs> struggle with that moment of putting the pen down what is your mechanism that you use that allows you to determine that moment in a song's life where it's ready to move you know into production given to the other musicians the producer and so forth um i'll usually um i will usually know it is done or almost done um and then I may fine-tune a word here or there over a day or so, depending on how much time I have uh, to work on it. But um, I will usually know when it's done uh, because I will. it just flows. It seems real. Uh, there's nothing, um, uh, you know, that shouldn't be in there, whether it's a word or, or a riff or whatever. It just seems to all fit together like a, like a puzzle. And, and also... When I play the song and I get emotional about it, I know that that's that's it, that's that it's done. Okay. I get a, a kind of an emotional feeling about it. Sometimes it's very strong, but there's always a feeling I get that uh, says, you know, yeah, this is it. Now, tell me about the lineup on this. Who's pay- who's playing on it? Um, we have uh, on drums. We have Frank Pagano, who's a uh, local New Jersey guy. He's kind of a, a local legend around here. He's uh, played with so many local people and, and well-known um, performers. Um, kind of a just a great go-to guy, uh, complete pro, um, and, uh, you know, personality to match. So he's, he's just a great player, very creative. Um, and, uh, he brought on board the bass player, Steve Gelfin, who I did not know, uh, until we started doing this project and they've done a lot of, a lot of Broadway stuff, a lot of, uh, gigs together played, uh, Steve's played with Hall and Oates, all kinds of people. Uh, and they're both like that and they've, they've done a lot of, a lot of projects together. And so he, he brought Steve on board and, um, Joanne and I, like I said, have been been playing a, a long time together, and uh, and I basically did the arrange the the old traditional songs. Just tried to come up with new, interesting 
fresh arrangements and uh and wrote four four originals as well and and i also played the harp and um and the keyboards on this as well as guitar so um yeah, I actually started out as a keyboard player uh, when I was young, playing piano. Uh, okay. Had an older brother who was into guitar, and I kind of ended up going more towards the guitar. So now, um, you once you get this recorded, you have to get it out to radio. Mm-hmm. You got to get it out to press, and you're working with Betsy Brown from Blind Raccoon. How mm-hmm. did that relationship begin? Um, I had, I had heard of Blind Raccoon, um, a couple of bands up in uh, the area that I'm in that I had noticed had, had uh, worked with her and also, uh, a slide guitarist, uh, Donna Harula from Chicago. I had met at, uh, the Mother's Best Festival in Helena, uh, Arkansas a few years back and, she and I uh, played together while we were down there, and we did Sonny Payne's uh, show, the King Biscuit Hour down there when he was still doing that. And uh, she, I noticed that Donna put an album out, I guess, a year or two ago, and had used Betsy and, and just had great things to say about her, and I could see that she was getting great results. So um, I just got her contact info and uh, got in touch with her, and... Um, I sent her some of the tracks, and she she liked what she heard and said kind of what I had thought all along, that it was just like a new a contemporary take on gospel blues and that she really, really loved it. So I knew that she, she got it, and she seemed like the right person to, to work on it. Okay. Now, you know, the, the music industry has, has changed over the last 30 years, you know, several times over because of the digital revolution. And um, the elephant in the room here is that the consumer has really <clears throat> embraced streaming as a way to consume music. And the mm-hmm. and this is a double-edged sword. I mean, we have access to a huge potential fan base, but yet there's very little money for independent artists in streaming. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the biggest hits to the independent artists is the fact that the consumer does not look at recorded music anymore as a product to purchase. It's now a service. If they go on Spotify and they search for an artist and they're not there, they just discount them as being not relevant because you have to have a Spotify account or else, you know, you're not real. Uh, And, you know, if you do have a Spotify account, you're not getting paid, you know, Mm -hmm. equitably for, for your content. How has this right. shift in, in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Well, it, <laughs> yeah, like the a lot of the streaming platforms, um, like you had mentioned, you know, you might get zero 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 point one six uh, of a cent per per spin, you know, of a song. So you literally have to have millions and millions of spins to make any sort of money at all. And uh, so it's it's uh, extremely, you know, disheartening, especially to independent artists like myself, um, because it's hard enough to just, you know, uh, for most musicians I know, to get the money together to record. Um, 
that's always been why it's taken me a number of years, you know, five to seven years between CDs to get something out because it's just to save up the money, you know, to be able to, to afford to do it. Um, so it's, it's um, you know, very, uh, you know, the consumers, you know, most consumers have no idea. You know, they're they're just looking for music and, and um, they, you know, it's, it's uh used to talk about how bad it was in the past, particularly with blues musicians who uh, most of, a lot of them didn't see any royalties or, or uh, you know, sold their songs for a hundred bucks or whatever it was. And while the record company's making billions off of it, um, it's, it's almost kind of back to that point where it's very difficult to, uh, you know, makes it harder and harder for uh, especially independent musicians to, to really make any money off of it. I mean, even, even, uh, selling CDs seems like the price of those have gone down. So, um, it's a, it's a very, um, challenging time. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, independent artists do have more control over their music and how it is. They, if you hustle, you can get it out there. And, uh, um, you have, uh, you know, if you retain your, your, your rights, especially your writing, um, that's good. Whereas be kind of taken away from you, uh, a lot of times by a you know, record company giving you a lump sum for, for whatever they were trying to get from you. And, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it, it makes it also hard, you know, when like in, in the past when artists would work hard to, present their album or CD or whatever and, you know, work on the cover and the liner notes and uh, have all the credits and all this stuff. I always thought was really interesting to read and, and to, you know, see who did what and what, who the guests were on the record and to check out the, and kind of get a sense of the artist and what they're all about, where they're coming from. And, um, you know, you don't really get that with uh, a lot of the streaming stuff. You're lucky if you even get a picture of the artist, you know, or, or the cover of their, of their, you know, any sort of cover art or something or, you know, a sense of what the, they're all about. Other you know, you don't really learn anything about the person. Very different. Yeah. Now, um, one of the things um, I noticed uh, in the industry, because I like to keep track of what's going on, um, the monies that we get for streaming is mm-hmm. is not a sustainable business model. Um, no. You look at these these streaming platforms, and basically, a bulk of their content, no matter how you slice this pie, comes from the independent artist community. It doesn't come from the mm-hmm. record companies. They really are a small portion of the actual content maybe they they uh-huh. uh, they atone for for most of the streams but they still are only a small portion of the content a larger mm-hmm. chunk of that content comes from the independent artists if mm-hmm. you don't pay independent artists substantially or not I want I don't want to use the word substantial I want to use the word equitable uh, right. if you don't pay them equitably uh, for their content, then they can no longer afford to go into the studio and to record another project. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, or at least it becomes far and few between because if you can't make your right. money back, it becomes, right. you know, a losing proposition. And it's not yeah. cheap to go into a studio. You know, right. you know, you're right. talking each project can can cost you, you know, 10 to 20, 25 thousand dollars. And you exactly. don't get that back. Um, right. You know, and so it's not a sustainable business model. We need to do uh-huh. something that is going to right that ship. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think needs to happen to give the independent artist a fairer shake in this new industry that we're in now? Mm. Good question. Um, well, I do think that maybe some things that have happened, possibly the fact that a lot of uh, bigger record companies are, are no longer around, has uh, uh, probably helped the independent artists in, in a lot of ways. Um, like I say, because they retain more of the rights and give them more freedom to do what they want to do, and they're not sort of uh, having to get the approval of tax accountants or you know people who aren't necessarily in the creative end of the business. Um, but that's a good question. Uh, you know, uh, it's hard now to kind of, you know, uh, put the genie back in the bottle, you know, now that people see they can get all this, this, uh, almost free music and in a lot of cases free, uh, that artists have worked on so hard in our case, uh, gosh, it took two, two and a half years to get this thing done, uh, largely because of the pandemic, but, but it was also, um, you know, money as well. Um, so, gosh, well, that's a know, tough question. Yeah, it is a tough question. And there, there is um, some movements in the music industry to move towards a decentralized um, industry. Uh, I read an mm-hmm. article in Billboard where they said of all the billions of dollars that are generated through the music industry... Only 12% ends up in the artist's hands um, mm. because of the fact that the industry is glutted with middlemen. You know, there mm. is aggregators and labels and, you know, distributors mm-hmm. and streaming services. Everybody has their hands right. out, managers and, right. you know, whatever it may be. And the idea of going decentralized is to eliminate all of those and to create a sustainable relationship directly from the fan to the artist um Mm -hmm. one of the things that that are being developed or actually are out there right now is streaming services much like spotify but based off the blockchain which is that technology that they use to secure cryptocurrency and it's a decentralized mm-hmm. system. In other words, no one company can control it. It's controlled mm-hmm. by the fans and the artists that utilize the, the system. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think of that as a potential future for the music industry? Well, it sounds like uh, the best of all worlds. <laughs> if it's if it can actually be sustainable, if if you know, um, if you can get fans and artists to go there and actually utilize it and, and uh, you know, build it up and, and make it happen, uh, I think uh, artists definitely would. 
go there uh, and and use a service like that. Um, you know, getting getting fans there, um, you know, would be a little harder, I would think. But um, if you, you know, I think people just aren't aware, you know, uh, the the general public how tough it is for artists to, uh, you know, not just to create the material and uh, get it all together and everything that goes with that, and then to market it uh, in some some sense, you know, get it out to 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 the people, you know, and that's why, you know, most artists kind of get caught in this catch twenty two where you you uh, kind of have to use these streaming services, and uh, you know, you want to get your music out there and get it accessible to millions of people. But uh, at the same time, you don't really make any money off of it. So it's, uh, I mean, to me, that, that uh, blockchain idea sounds, sounds like a good idea. You know, uh, if you could get, uh, get artists and, and make people aware of it and aware of, of uh, you know, this is a, uh, you know, this is a service that the artists are providing just like you, you get from any, anybody else, but it's something that, everybody can identify with that makes everybody feel good or feel something on some level. So, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's keep this going, you know, let's, uh, let's try. And I think, you know, if I think it would be obviously extremely beneficial to the, the artists and, uh, you know, financially and just, you know, feel, feel like they're getting, um, uh, they're connecting, with people, you know, and not, they're not just a, a number out there like, Oh, your blues number, you know, 457 on the, on the playlist here. Um, so I don't know. It sounds like a good idea. Well, you um, know, if you look at it logically, I mean, history over the last 30 years has taught, taught us one thing that nobody is too big to be replaced. You know, we started out with Napster and everybody was sharing music all over the place and the record companies were going nuts. And how do we stop this? They're huge. It's, you know, it's it's unstoppable, yeah. yada, yada. And then along comes mm-hmm. iTunes, you know, and then mm-hmm. Apple starts selling iPods and, you know, they created this iTunes system in order to create content for their new device. And everybody mm-hmm. said, oh, you know, it's Apple. Apple is huge. We'll never lose iTunes. Well, then mm-hmm. along comes, you know, Spotify, you know. Right. And, you know, they take over the mantle, and now everybody is streaming. Nobody uses iPods anymore. It's all done on the phone. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, to to say that, you know, well, you know, where will the consumer move? Yeah, they will. If the artist moves mm-hmm. to these new platforms, they're going to follow along. Right. You know, they right. have no they have no uh, allegiance to a platform. Exactly. You know, their yeah. allegiance is to the music, and they will follow wherever the music goes. You know. Right. So I yeah, no, that- I actually believe that uh, if Spotify, Pandora, and all these streaming services don't open their eyes and realize that this is not a sustainable model that they can be replaced that they're not too big to you know to be um how can i put uh outdated or you know um made to be you know um i can't think of the word 
but you know what I mean, that they're, they're going to go the way of the dodo bird, extinct. Right, um, right. You know, that, you know, they're, they're going to actually, that's what's going to happen to them. They're going to be replaced by something better and, and, uh, and hopefully more equitable to the, to the artists themselves, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like, um, you know, when sort of artists start going to indie and realize, well, I don't necessarily need, you know, in the old days, everybody, oh, I've got to get a record contract. I've got to get it, get on a label. And, you know, that was the end all be all to everything. And artists started realizing, well, I can do this myself and started, you know, started this indie, indie movements. And I guess, you know, things like CD baby and which I, I think was a good thing when it, when it started out and, um, you know, started working with independent artists to help them, uh, you know, get get more uh, you know, financial uh, you know benefits that were coming to them, and and also made them realize, well, we don't need these big labels. And a lot of the labels, you know, were sort of became dinosaurs and folded. Um, and and it was a good thing, you know, and it it, cha- it changed. Uh, um, a lot of artists were were able to make it work, but uh, yeah. Uh, I, I hadn't thought about that uh, exactly the way you put it, but that uh, seems absolutely right. You know, fans are going to go where the music is, and uh, you know, uh, sounds like the blockchain idea is, is a would be a good next logical step. Oh yeah, I think so too. I think yeah. that, that yeah. if if it's done right and it is, you know, uh, creating an economic opportunity for artists. You know that the large, mm-hmm. the big artists as well as the independent artists are going to start saying, "Well, mm-hmm. hey, this is you know this is where we need to be." Um, yeah. Now you know the other thing I've, I've been watching is this whole new world of content creation and social media marketing. Um, when the <clears> pandemic <throat> hit, it really accelerated this. Um, artists, you know, started out they they you know they were taken off the road and they were sitting at home and all of a sudden they said well let's do some live streaming and they started doing live mm-hmm. streams and then they started creating music videos and then they started you know showing you know well this is what you know I do on my off time and these are my hobbies right. and, you know and then they degraded to puppies babies and kittens and you know, <laughs> You know, you know the content yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> the fans actually like this. And if you really kind of look at it, the fan bases that are out there over the last 30 years have been really inundated with this whole reality show kind of content over the over mm-hmm. the years on television. So for them, this is not foreign. This is a a very familiar mm-hmm. world of getting yeah. that glimpse of someone else's life, you know, and mm-hmm. if, as long as it's done with those authenticity, the fans are going to, you know, uh, accept it and they're going to gravitate to it. And a lot of artists right. have realized this and they're starting to realize that the branding has become the new mm-hmm. product and utilizing mm-hmm. content and social media it's a free way to kind of brand yourself and get your fans excited about the things you do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, especially, you know, when the pandemic struck, um, I think everybody started, uh, 
you know, rethinking, you know, how they were going to stay active, you know, musicians, how we're going to keep playing and, and, and creating and bringing the music to people. And, um, you know, the, the streaming, streaming idea, you know, was a great thing, uh, doing live streams and, uh, um, it's, um, you know, just trying to, yeah, also use, uh, like we were talking about, the technology to create uh, music videos, at, you know, at home. Uh, I mean, people are, you know, shooting stuff on their phones now, which, uh, you know, the new phones are oh, like yeah, 4K, 4K, unbelievable quality. You can 8K. shoot a movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, utilizing that and then, uh, you know, being able to put together little music videos are just little vignettes of, you know, this is uh, how I, and uh, here's the equipment I used, and here's how I, you know, I got the idea for this. And um, uh, I think it's interesting, you know, to, to people, uh, especially who uh, aren't necessarily musicians, but just music lovers. And they, they, the whole process of, of making music and coming up with it is is uh, something they 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 don't know a lot about, but they they're very curious, you know, to see the process and see uh, how. Uh, musicians go about it and uh how sometimes it just all comes together other times it's very frustrating and you know you it uh, uh can you know you feel like you're beating your head against the wall and then uh something will 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 flip and, and make it all come together for you so the social me- media i mean the aspect of that during the pandemic really uh ignited a lot of new ideas and and really kind of was able to use uh, social media technology, uh, you know, in a way it hadn't really been used, uh, you know, fully, you know, people came up with all kinds of great ideas. And it's kind of one of the things I was trying to do just to take some of my songs and uh, particularly some of my instrumentals and just do some animated and live action videos uh, to some of them since I was stuck at home. And, uh, you know, I, I, that was kind of in my background. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean everybody's trying different things now, and uh, it's it is very interesting to see what uh, how that's developed and and people do different things on social media. Also, you know, kind of everybody feeds off of each other, and we all get ideas from each other. So, I think it's a great thing, and I think the the fans love to see that. You know, love to see what you're working on, how you did it. Uh, you know, and and sort of get to know you a little bit. You know, it's like. Um, I've always had a little problem with with bands or performers that that are on stage and they never even sort of acknowledge the crowd and never really say anything or give anything up of themselves to the crowd. You know, they, um, I just feel like you need to, you know, connect with them and say something and, you know, uh, just get some sort of, besides, I mean, obviously you've got the music, but I always want to see what a performer is like, what their personality is and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of get a sense of them and and because uh, i think that uh you know uh it's just a part of that give and take thing you know with the audience because uh th- you're going to feed off of them and they're going to feed off of you and and uh um i think if they they know a little something about you and understand where you're coming from it's uh uh and kind of know feel like they know you a little more personally it uh, just makes it a better experience you know oh yeah without a doubt well yeah you know- I really appreciate you coming on the show, and it's been a real oh, pleasure talking you. with you. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. And uh, you know what? Turn it up loud. 
Your neighbors need safety, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Richie. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me on.
ask the question Please answer if you can Anybody's children can tell me Tell me what is the soul of a man I want somebody to tell me Well answer if you can I want somebody to tell me Tell me what about the soul of a man I traveled to different countries this land Couldn't find nobody Could tell me Tell me what about the soul of a man Won't somebody tell me Answer if you can I want somebody to tell me Tell me what about the soul of a man I saw a crowd stand talking I came up on just in time
Gonna rock this shade Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make 